I think this is a good time to transition to our next article. The transition gone. I love it. Um, which I think is speaking to m- many of the same issues. So this is Chapman's privileging form over content analyzing historical video games. Very short article, just about five pages. Um, but basically, I think in speaking to what we were just talking about, what he does in this article is he says that, okay, if we accept that video games are history, right, how do we go about analyzing them? And I think it's in line with a lot of what you were just saying, Derek, which is historians have been almost like laser focused on analyzing content. Uh, Like the best example is something like Assassin's Creed, right? Where like it's purportedly creating an immersive, realistic historical world. And, you know, scholars will say, well, you know, that like, uh, the the Bastille wasn't actually constructed by you know by, by that time eighty six or yeah, yeah. this wasn't doing this and or like well actually a guy <laughs> in a white robe wasn't running around and trying to like, <laughs> murder, murder people <laughs> yes <Right>. and so <laughs> I, Te- Templars weren't actually uh, uh, what yeah they are Is it, you don't know about secret societies the Illuminati the... clearly not well enough <laughs> um, and so this echo basically I think what Chapman is putting forth in this article is a really really smart and sophisticated version of something that I said in our first episode, which is like, I said something on the lines of like, is Assassin's Creed right? No, what? No. But like, how does it tell you about history, right? So he's saying we should privilege form over content. Content should be important, uh, but we're going to have a little section in a few minutes uh, about this game Kingdom Come Deliverance, uh, which where I think content is an important part of this discussion. But in this uh, article... um, Chapman is basically saying we should privilege form, right? So we should analyze how is the form of the game allowing certain discussions about the past, not allowing certain discussions about the past, what, exp- what like, evidence, I know I've been saying this a lot, but what evidence is the game developer mobilizing to make their to make the form of the game that the player inhabits? Uh, so, yeah, what were your guys' thoughts on this article? I mean... It was good. I No, I, <laughs> your framing of it, like... Let's take this as a historian kind of speaking to other historians and saying, hey, yeah. oh. focus on... I think that framing is so important. Yes. I, so that, I don't that's, know. That's how I framed this, and uh, I, is basically this article is Chapman kind of... If the first article was speaking to game studies people saying, I'm a historian, here's my take on game studies. This is, I'm a game studies historian. Here are historians. Here's how you should do this, you know, speaking to that community. Yeah. Sorry. I think I think that I think that kind of framing of thinking about this article is the best way to do it. It's the most charitable way. Um, because it, it really it really would help someone who's sort of thinking that you've already described all of the you've you've said it much. It really helped me. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's good. And that's great. And and it and it's sort of I, I think the the sort of other way to think about that is that this form content debate is one, of course, that we sort of started our podcast with, yeah. right? Thinking about narratology and ludology and how sort of by the point, by the time this article gets published, that conversation in game studies is long past, right? We've sort of moved beyond it. Um, and to see, to read to read Chapman's, the second article about Chapman in a, in a game studies context, it feels like, ugh, are we still doing this <laughs> narratology, ludology thing? But if it, as a, a thing addressed to historians, I think it's like really good. Um, I just want to read a quote. Mm-hmm. Just because I think it like like it helped me like for the first time I don't know why it just like really like calcified and like in a really concise way helps me say oh I never need to say ludology or narratology ever again because some because T L Taylor already gave us a great list of thirteen different things thirteen factors <laughs> that are involved in the assemblage of games and play I'm gonna read this quote so this is from 
Queer Game Studies, which is an anthology put together by Bonnie Ruberg and Adrian Shaw. just came out this past year, I think. Um, they're quoting a, a, a researcher scholar, T.L. Taylor, who's a big guy in game studies. Really good. And I'm just going to read this quote, which is just like, they set it up as like, hey, ludology and narratology was a thing. How do we deal with that? How do we get past it? And this is the answer from T.L. Taylor. Games and their play are constituted by the interrelations between, to name just a few, technological systems and software, uh, the material world, uh, the online space of the game, game genre and its histories, the social worlds that infuse the game and situate, it, situate us outside of it, the emergent practices of communities, our interior lives, personal histories and aesthetic experience, um, institutional structures that shape the game and our activity as players, legal structures, and indeed the broader culture with around us with its conceptual frames and tropes. Perfect. Right? Yeah. I'm going to get that tattooed. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's really, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's poetry. All down your back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what's that? Like, oh, it's how games, like how games matter. <laughs> it's it's like the, the factors of gaming. It, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a, it's getting some back work done. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, I think it's just like, there's probably I, I love how he says like to name just a few yeah. leaving this list open like Chapman is aware of all this stuff too I don't want to like hold Chapman like say Chapman doesn't even think about this stuff in the other article he's constantly thinking about modders and he's thinking about um, historical context yeah. he's thinking about disciplines he's thinking about a lot of these things and like just remembering that this whole list of things with more possibly are 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 all things that are involved in thinking about games and play is just yeah. helpful it's a helpful reminder yeah. that's all and right? I think this is something that as a call to my fellow historians, I think we are like particularly good at, like, you know, not exclusively, but I think historians are particularly good at like thinking about context, thinking about contingency, thinking about like the way, the institutional structures that shape the production of things. And that's why, you know, I, I mean, game studies apparently has is, is also deep into this kind of um, discussion, but I think historians can also contribute meaningfully to it. And, and that's, I mean, what I'm trying to do. So, but yeah, <laughs> and I, I, feel like, I feel like this piece is a good way of, doing that instead of getting stuck in the sort of like narrow critiques of content yeah. sort of, which is frankly boring and yeah. like stop right. doing it. Right. Yeah. It. And like, <laughs> at, you know, at some point, you know, it's the easy, it's the easiest way for a historian to intervene, right. Is to say like, Oh, well this little thing is a little different or this thing is wrong. And sometimes that can produce very meaningful critique, but I think for the most part, it's, 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 it's largely pedantic, you know? Um, and so, we have kind of we can produce different and important things. So, this episode is about Crusader Kings two, but something's happened in the past kind of few months that I think is really important, and I think impinges on this really uh, like a lot. And so, I want to talk a little bit about this game called Kingdom Come Deliverance, um, which for those of you who don't know, um, it's a the creator of the game described it as Skyrim without magic. Right, so it's an attempt to make a supposedly uh, historically accurate, uh, a faithfully accurate historical representation of like medieval warfare, particularly in 15th century Bohemia. Um, the problem with this is that the creator of the lead developer of the game, a guy named Daniel Vavra, is kind of a, a neo-Nazi a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly, a possibly. A far-right ideologue. He, Definitely that. He supported Gamergate. Like He was totally in favor of Gamergate. He's on record is calling Anita Sarkeesian a Nazi because she wants to stop Nazis from talking, and he constantly blasts SJW culture uh, for ruining games. 
And like, um, you know, just to sort of refer to another podcast who recently just talked about this, uh, Waypoint on their sort of weekly podcast, had a whole thing about why they weren't covering this game, even though it's currently the bestseller on Steam. It's like that that stuff. At the same time, uh, Vavra has like had these pseudo apologies yeah. where he sort of like sort of walks back some things, but is like, no, Gamergate was, Gate was about free speech. And yeah. that's what I care about is free speech. So like... There are, I think it's complicated. I think Vavra is maybe complicated. And I I, I don't want to like level, you know. For sure. I think we want to just make it as, bal- you know, not, oh God, did I almost just two-sided it. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, um, he has walked back on some of the more extreme things. He was still a vocal supporter of Gamergate, yeah. which is like, uh, you know. Yeah. That's enough. Maybe we can say is that we'll take Vavra like as he is. And yeah. like, yeah. if and he finds that our honest depiction like objectionable, we can like, Come and fight us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can come fight Henry. Just Henry. His name is Henry Gorman. He was in Nashville, Tennessee. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, <laughs> We're not doxing. We're not starting the dox um, But yeah, so I, I bring this up because I, I think in light of Chapman and what we just talked about, uh, it, this could form a kind of good way to kind of conclude or to think, to think through these in a meaningful way, the ideas we just talked about. Because... A lot of people, a lot of historians, are focusing on uh, the content of the game as inaccurate, um, as opposed to challenging the ideas that like guide the process of creation of a narrative about the past. Because Vavra has been big on saying, "Oh, I want to create a game where like melee combat is historically accurate, right? Where so instead of Skyrim, you just keep swinging your sword till everything's dead. It's like hard to swing a sword. You get tired. You know, if you want to brew." you know, something to like some poultice or something. It's like really hard and complicated and you have to learn how to do it. And on the, so a lot of historians have been talking about that. Um, but I think, especially in light of Chapman, an interesting thing that we could talk about is um, like a lot of postmodern, like critiques of postmodernism and, you know, critiques of something like what Chapman is bringing in. Um, I think a, what a lot of people took away from postmodernism was, oh, there is no objective morality. Right, or if you read something like Chapman, you could come away saying there is no objective reality in the past. Therefore, I can present the past as anything I want, as long as it matches my feelings. Right, um, <laughs> and so I don't think this is true. I don't know if that was <laughs> fair of postmodernism. No, I'm saying I'm saying some people think that <laughs> sure, about sure, postmodernism. Sure. Right, so God is dead, nothing matters. Why don't we just create? whatever we want. Some people right? imagine that that's what postmodernism is. Indeed. I, again, I want to very reiterate, I'm not saying that's what postmodernism <laughs> is, but a lot of people have taken that yeah, away, of you course. know, from, yeah. from like the cultural critiques of postmodernism. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I, I, what, what do you guys think about this game, Kingdom Come Deliverance, which, you know, at some point is trying to be a faithful representation of the past, but in some other ways was guided by like this kind of far-right I- I- ideology, and how do you kind of uh, figure, like, Put those two things into conversation. Uh, I want to, Terrell, you you have something you want to say. I want to quick preface this like saying, I haven't played this game. I don't think any yeah, of us have played I this game. I don't think any of us have. No. I, I, again, Waypoint's discussion was like, hey, we've played it a bit, but we don't really know yet. And we haven't mm-hmm. really, like, it's hard to say if, where, when that kind of ideology shows up in the game. So just like a little quick preface with that. Terrell, I, I, I want to let you get in here. So I'm going to make two moves prior to getting to, I think, the the meat of what I want to say. First is, um, when you talk about something like postmodernism, I think that's up there now with words like intersectionality um, and a number of other things where it's like, I don't know, when someone says it, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, be clear. Um, 
Second, um, shout out to um, and if you if you're drinking something while um, while listening to this, I would pour out, but you know, don't want to make the curb center mad at us. Uh, don't <laughs> pour, out pour out a little something for Edward Said, um, who used postmodernism. Right, he was interested. This is probably more post-structural, to be honest. But you know, looking through uh, Foucault's work to create an idea of genealogies to demonstrate something about ways that we construct ideas about um, colonialism, et cetera, et cetera. Right, that there are ways in which when we start talking about postmodernism, just want to get a little bit more specific. Second, um, I'm going to you know put one out there for for you know Daniel Vavre, I believe. I don't know uh, if I'm pronouncing that right. So you want to create an absolutely realistic game that's fun to play um, or that you know is true to the way things actually were, but you're going to call it Skyrim without magic. Uh, so it's supposed to be realistic and no one's supposed to live very long. There's supposed to be these plagues that kill people and you know, no one's living for you know anything else. If you're born into a certain class, there's no ability to decide what it is that you do. You don't really have control over that. Yeah, you can't have both of those things in the same same breath. You can't have Skyrim and realism. Um, the very fact that there's this sense of, yeah, that's the way things were, and those things were great, that's why they were like Skyrim, suggests that, yeah, you're already painting this as a kind of inconsistent picture of sorts, yeah. right? There's a number of different values that are sort of at play and running against one another that, you know, mm-hmm. do your nice little fine dance, but those of us who know, see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I guess there might be a tension that's generally present in historical games is that in some sense there's a desire to represent the past faithfully. There's also a desire to make them playable as games and I think usually in the case of commercial games at least enjoyable to play. Um, so there's often concerns about like balance show up, these sorts of discussions appear and that's, uh, yeah, it's like the, and so in this case like that creating a game that's sort of historical but fun in some of the same ways that Skyrim is, is like, you're right, that's definitely a stretch. Like there's yeah. uh I think there's a debate about um, a kind of related but tangential topic on a blog called The Public Medievalist, which I highly recommend if anybody is interested in medieval history, where they talk about like race and culture in the medieval era and kind of relate this um, hugely problematic thing in the field of medieval history, which is that, uh, one, I mean, what even is medieval ages, right? (laughs) Like that's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. But two, that medieval history in the popular memory is often hijacked by white supremacists who want to recast the medieval ages as like this pure time where like white people ruled Europe and things were great and there was chivalry and stuff. And it has no real reflection to the like evidence we have, right? I'm not going to say, like, the actual past, right? Or, or like, that the evidence we have is incomplete or, like, insufficient yeah. to make those kinds of conclusions. Yeah, and yeah, so I th- in some cases it actually cuts against them. And- indeed. And so the, there's, like, that. I think that kind of ideology is really what's at fault here in Vavre is that, like, when he says, I want to faithfully recreate the past, that's not actually, I mean, obviously we've learned you can't do that, right? But, like, what he's actually saying is, I want to recreate a ver- my imagined version of the past that, like, casts the Turks as evil brown people that are barbarous, right? That um, doesn't have any people of color in it, that doesn't rec- like recognize um, the racial dimensions of living in the medieval era. I want to cast it as what I imagine it would be like, right? And, and, and I'm pointing out, too, this was a project that had over 100 developers on it, not just Vavra, but he is kind of the most outspoken. And he's a he's creative, the auteur. Yeah, he's the, the lead developer, director. Yeah. creative director, and yeah. he, is an outspo- he has an outspoken ideology, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's 
that's going to influence the game in some way, right? Yeah. So I think this is a like you've drawn you've drawn us back to ideology, which is really good because I think this is where we could start to talk about um, Crusader Kings two, where I will now go against Galloway. <laughs> And I, I actually Ooh, turning snap. on your father. I know, <laughs> um, Fata. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, turns out Galloway is father in a Gaelic or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so the 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 hinge of Galloway's. I don't even know if it's an argument so much as it is like an observation and a thinking through of his thoughts about how one makes meaning of games. We'll call it an argument. Um, is it like the ideal ideological layer? gets superseded by the informatic layer. And I have to say that, especially in watching people who know how to play this game really well online, so Crusader watching- Crusader Kings 2. Yes, Crusader Kings 2. Watching people who know how to play it really well, who, who've internalized the informatic logics, um, I think it's actually very much the case that ideology returns. That like once you know your way through the menus and once you know your way through the systems and the rules, even if they keep shifting on you a little bit, um, you can start doing things like role playing. You can say, "Oh, I want to start in Ethiopia as an Ethiopian Jewish king, and I want to create a, a, a sort of Jewish empire across all of Europe, or something like that." Right? Like this is—I mean, this is literally the video series that I was watching. Uh, I—I I don't know why I picked this one, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, this—this this is a moment where informatics is not determining that like the question of what you do with and in ck2 is is no longer just those menus but it's also that ideological layer but so i don't know if this could count as a defense of galloway in fact it may be a challenge or just like a y'all call off the dogs (laughs) like y'all coming out here for a jaywalking case right um (laughs) I meant it theatrically more. Sure, sure. But like, you know, even even to Chapman, who I think is is coming at Galloway in some smart ways, but when I read looked through that essay again, the, ga- I, the Galloway essay. You know, it I started with the Galloway and I thought that I saw a Barth reference yeah. in the Galloway, but I may have read that as a ch- it may have been Chapman referring to something that Galloway was talking about with the language of Barth and it's just it goes from this question of ideology critique to informatic critique and talking about that as a different sort of aesthetics. It goes to the cahier du cinéma and the way that mm-hmm. they're sort of trying to produce new ways of reading film and thinking about film. And I'm like, you know, you're juxtaposing a lot of things that aren't really consistent. And the difference between ideology and informatics and discipline versus control, all those things are made to seem parallel versus a very kind of you know straightforward reading of that. And they're really not like i don't think deleuze when he posed control society as an alternative to discipline said that therefore control means no ideology i think he was saying quite the opposite that this is a new way that ideology functions without seeming to be overdetermined ideology and so there's a bunch of ways in which you can read that essay and it's one of four essays one of four motions in that book i think that Galloway's sketching something that's very clearly incomplete. Yeah. Such that yeah. coming at him and, you know, kind of coming yeah. down and say, like, you missed it, right? It's yep. like, eh, he knew he wasn't hitting it in the first place. He right, was just trying yeah. to throw some things but out But you do there. have to stake, like, with you know, within the field of game studies, like, there is ground to stake there, right? Or and like- to be fair, for as many people who are taking um, Galloway to task as Chapman does, there are probably a number of people who are like, nah, he said it back in this point. Therefore, yeah. it's like... 
the yeah. Bible. And, and, and Gala would, I feel like Gala would be like, oh no, I never meant any of it that yeah. much. Right, 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 right. I never yeah. really did. And, and you know, that's why I was, I was, it was more of a goof because I'm such a big Ali G fan. Like, <laughs> like it was, it was, it was actually important for me personally because I was like a moment where I was like, oh, I can finally disagree with him or like go beyond him a little yeah. bit. I'm going to cut that because that's for more sure. of a personal note. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love you, Alexander. <laughs> I love you, but I have to leave you yeah. behind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that probably speaks to a lot of academia where like people, you know, like if you, talk to them in person and say like here's a critique of your argument they'd be like oh yeah probably like I agree with that you know but like yeah. when you argue with like the written word right. they have a sense to be like this jerk just keeps thinking these things Son because it bitch. won't change right it is history <laughs> god damn it <laughs> right I even so you know with Chapman too you know the moment where Chapman's like you know the formal qualities versus the gameplay but then all the moments where he's talking about the way that communities engage influenced by those external forces yep. that are yeah. clearly formal, right? Right. Just, yeah, right. I think people slip. Every yeah. <laughs> the accidental features of a text will always betray the purportedly <laughs> inherent message. I think <laughs> I think you could you could have said it without the French affectation. Yeah. <laughs> I think Thank, it's thanks, I think it's French worth Terrell remembering for your quick appearance. I do I do actually <laughs> want more French Terrell though. <laughs> always want more French Terrell. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, just I, I want to talk about something else kind of related to this. Yeah, sure. Um particularly about Crusader Kings 2, or more even about Paradox games in particular. Uh, Chapman has a quote in that second, uh, in his first article, where he writes that, um, uh, is on page 319, quote, historical video games are already capable of producing competing narratives as developers slash historians utilize the same basic sources yet arrive at different conclusions about their relative importance and, agree and arrangement, just like in written history, uh, in depicting the past through, through play. Civilization has an often distinctly different and even competing view of Western history in causal theory, scope, tone, and ideology to the historical strategy game Europa Universalis, despite their utilization of many of the same reference and themes. And so Europa Universalis is obviously another paradox game. And so I just want to maybe spend a few minutes where we can think through how is a game like Civ uh, Five or the Civilization series, which is covering the same time series, time spans as all the paradox games we just mentioned, what evidence is it using? What concepts of the past is it using that the um, paradox games are or are not? And, and what conclusions can we draw from that? Well, I think that it, part of it is just about issues of scope and scale because um, civilization is trying to, if we look at the idea of games as trying to encompass a possibility space, civilization is trying to encompass a possibility space that goes back to the beginning of time, yeah. even with variables <laughs> like, the geography of the world at stake. So, like, the, yep. <laughs> you have a randomly created world, it's crazy geography, and you have uh, all these different sort of civilizations. Like, you play as basically, I don't know, like a Hegelian, like, Weltgeist who's, like, <laughs> guiding um, yeah. uh, one of these civilizations to the, the nation success. spirit, yeah. Yeah. turning, like... But personified in, like, one yeah. typical... And, the, yeah. like, and there's an identification with, like, between um, sort of, like, civilization and state in a way that's... I think is actually really ahistorical yeah, and like and lazy, problematic. But <laughs> it's like uh, that's a that's a discussion for another day, maybe. But um, the yeah, well, so, I think so that, that's like, what the, Civ is doing, right? Yeah, well, I think yeah. that like the paradox games are generally trying more to to try to encompass the space of possibilities in given and specific yeah. time frames. So Crusader Kings Two is like it's specifically a game about the medieval period, and as a result, like that. So like the fundamental units of politics, it isn't like the nation state, it's dynastic. And the main the main important relationships are like that 
relationship, interpersonal relations, and specifically like sort of vassal lord bonds, are like the main sort of structure of the game. Whereas in Civilization, the main the main sort of units are still cities that are in like the main sort of like Crusader Kings is like a lot of what's what you need to do to play it well is to like cultivate good relationships with your vassals and manage your court. Yeah, Civilization is always about managing the exploitation of land Domination, and the development technology. Yeah, conquering. Um, yeah. I, so um, I, I want to get – you guys have both played more Civ Five than I have as well. But, like, oh, one yeah. thing that I feel like um, – specifically with Civ Five versus Crusader Kings 2, in Civ Five, I had this sense – I learned negatively in the sense I never managed to do this but realized that by not doing this I was failing – that you kind of have to pick a victory path and, mm-hmm. like, stick with it for yeah. Civ Five. Like, I'm going for a cultural victory this time, and I can deviate a little bit, but if I want to win, I kind of have to stick to that path. Mm. Would you say that's a fair characterization? Or that, yeah, like, definitely. You, you should have an ultimate goal in mind, because, well, you know, sometimes economic gains will help you with your cultural victory, but, like, y- you should be intentional about doing yeah, that. Yeah, I think that, like, civilization has victory conditions. That's Indeed, a major, yes. which, which yes. major mechanical difference. For those of you yep. listening, like, a lot of Paradox games do not yeah. have yeah. victory conditions. All, so, none of yeah. the historical games have victory conditions. Yes. Um, Stellaris does. Uh, a lot of people okay. actually think that Stellaris is worse because it has victory that's conditions. That's fair. And, and, and I actually think, I actually would agree with that assessment, but that's maybe <laughs> I, also... Okay. Uh, yeah, w- without the worse thing, with, with just, like, <laughs> yes. a difference, like, yes. what I see in CK2 is, like, a total lack of this idea that, like, my play is predetermined by some sort of goal. Mm-hmm. And that... It's specifically in CK2 and not in Civ 5 that I feel the possibility space. Because, like, uh, you know, for me, whenever I played it, even mm-hmm. after, like, in my third attempt to try, I was like, okay, I finally know what a few of the things do. I had the sense of, like, whoa, I could really kind of do anything. Like, I, I have a little, there are little notifications, like, you need someone in your council, a counselor is idle, you have a, a, a claim you could press. But there's never a sense like, oh, I'm going for a military victory, so I just need to work on military tech and like just build that up and invade as much as I can and expand and all that stuff. Um, CK2 is like, well, what what might happen next? Yeah. What are you going like, to do? What are you going to do with the things you have? Well, there you might could... be a famine. There yeah, might be a... right, yeah. right. Yeah. There could be an invasion. There could be all sorts of things. Yeah. You could play a game where like you just try to be a good vassal to your king, right? Yeah, <laughs> rather yeah, than like yeah. the typical. More typically, you probably are going to try to murder your king and overthrow him at some point. Exactly. But, like, this is uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, this uh, this goes part and parcel into a discussion we had, uh, I think, in our mailbag episode where okay. we watched that article where a guy uh, where we watched the, a video where a guy said like, "Why are all games about violence? You know, like yeah, why can't we right, have games right. that don't." Be about violence, and you know, obviously, if the game is called Crusader Kings, too, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> and there's a lot of violence in it, but I think there is potentiality in the game to mm-hmm. like let's play where like I want to play a game where I try to you know conquer my land or whatever, but then just like produce a flowering nation, you know, yeah. instead of like trying to always be like a dominant military force. You're like, I just want to create enough X or whatever to do whatever, or in Victoria Two to be like, I want to create a communist state, <laughs> which like you know maybe <laughs> achieves it through revolution, but then just like has a literate class and, you know, is, like, very class conscious and, like, will make good citizens. <laughs> and I think that condition or that description of the win state is perhaps the best argument um, against Galloway is mm-hmm. that, you know, whereas I think there's one way of reading Galloway as saying that all of the things that you can do within the game space that don't necessarily lead you to a victory condition or a win state um, or don't even necessarily advance the code of the game are possible. Therefore, it's hard to say that the game proper is about something. The very fact that there are things that you can do within that space that, you know, run into these conditions that are very much like historically consistent, that even if there is something that didn't quote unquote happen, 
the fact that you have to play within conditions that were very much real means that you end up producing a kind of ludic experience that is one of the many possibilities within that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that actually that kind of revolves you see this a lot in like the discussions of Paradox's games on their forums. So like that I think that it for Paradox players like consistently seem to want their games to be historical in some sense and for like the space of things that are possible to seem reasonable in some ways, but they also want to have enough freedom that you can take the small kingdom of Ryukyu Island where like, Okinawa is and you and starting in like 1399 in European Versailles 4 and maybe by like by um 1800 conquer the world <laughs> right it's, it's sort yeah. of uh yeah. so like the which unfortunately is not what actually happened no <laughs> and it's like if only but we the world would the... be awesome it'd be so much cooler <laughs> it would be so different okinawa well hmm, never mind <laughs> But yeah, and I think that also... We, like, we here at Scholars of Play love Japanese culture. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. to be my, 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 he, my reticence there was that, like, you know, I don't know, like, 13 something was when you said the re... re Ryuku? Ryuku, Ryuku. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that could yeah, be properly called have, Okinawa yeah. or if it would still have been the place where karate was developed. But, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. that's my, like, imaginary... That's Terrell. Yeah, like, yeah. everyone is, like, learns karate. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that in some sense, some of these discussions of possibility are also places where ideology comes back into yeah. it. And I think that, like, in a, a problematic sense, often in, like, the European Rosales forms, there's, like, an aspect of nationalism mm -hmm. that goes into it. I think people are kind of, like... There are, it's like, oh, I think a weird, like, sort of Eastern Orthodox, like, Eastern European contingent who want to be able to play as the Byzantine Empire and reestablish the Byzantine Empire and the glory of Rome <laughs> through, but the sort of Eastern Orthodox, like, Greek version of it. Players, people with varying degrees of irony, sort of, like, quote this, like, Serbian nationalist meme called, like, it's like, where, like, remove kebab. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, like, and, like, where they just they talk about their, like, for the goal of like driving back the Ottoman Empire, oh god, oh, god. <laughs> some sort of like state. So, so of course, like there's like there's clearly like that. Paradox games have, I think, a certain amount of like you can play a game which is a total like right wing fantasy, like saying Crusader Kings two. You can be the the great Crusader King. You can Deus Volt your way across the entire like sort of beat heathen back, world. Beat back the uh, Muslim. Yeah, yeah. Know. It's like the, it's like the sort of like conquer Mecca. Um, it's like turn the Kaaba into a church. Or you could also like do something that would like make the sort of like European right wingers shit their pants and be like, <laughs> okay, it's like the the Muslims are gonna conquer Rome, mm -hmm. like Britain, Scandinavia is gonna be under the heel of the caliph. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be, it's like that, the jihadists will reach the shores of Ireland. Right. Sort right, of. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd say that like the maybe sort of like that the default orientation of a lot of paradoxes games is kind of Eurocentric, although they often, like, try to correct that or pull back from that and, like, with patches and updates. Like, at first, Crusader Kings 2, the only playable rulers were, like, European Christians, but now it's expanded. You can play now as, like, Norse pagans, Zoroastrians, um, Ethiopian Jews, um, Muslims. It basically can do anything. Yeah, weird, weird yeah. Christians, like, bizarre yeah. heretics. Yeah. You can be yeah. a Cathar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So it's, like, definitely... Uh, but I think that sort of in, in some ways you could say that the, the basic dynastic mechanics probably reflect more, still reflect Europe more than they reflect anywhere else. So it's yeah. like the other expansions are a bit, maybe a bit problematic for that reason. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, something they're trying to wrestle with. And... Yeah, and I think it just like so accurately shows like the effect that 
different approaches to producing the game can have on like the actual gameplay and the actual makeup of the game to where you, mm -hmm. you have, you know, if I were to describe you know, Europe Universalis and Civ in like 10 words, they'd probably sound like a pretty similar game, you know, like a 4X game where you play, you know, as a dynasty trying to like, you know, control things and move, develop technology, you know. conquer yeah, develop lands, technology, right? like it's, it's going to sound like the same money. game, but like the play is almost nothing alike. And so yeah. they, it's kind of similar, you could say to like, Again, you know, there is no faithful recreation of the past, but there are histories that are better than other histories, right? And so you can say, well, the author of that book was clearly trying to, like, answer a present-day question and was using history, to, was motivated by history to do it. Or, you know, this this uh, author is relying way too heavily on the state archives rather than the non-state archives. Something of a metaphor you know? for mechanics and style. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. So, and, I think, and I think that's, I mean, I think Chapman goes along the same lines at some point in his article saying, like, we should think of the developers in the same way that we would critique like historians, you know, who are producing uh, books or articles and say like, okay, what were they using? How did they think of that? What, 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 what fundamental questions are they trying to answer with this? What were their fundamental ideas when they went Absolutely. into this doing that kind of analysis? And that could be another like interesting implicit contrast. I think that sort of like civilizations sort of like basic concept of historical change. I think it's kind of like if like, Walt Rostow's like modernization yeah. theory had sex with like 19th century British Whig history <laughs> and like it had a, like a demented baby that would be like the that fundamental for you historians that's like the <laughs> this is like the basically the idea is that like progress is linear it's about exploiting the resources of the environment and like the increasing ability to exploit your resources for more and more like value is like the driving process of history and like being a the increases in production, increases in research, all these sort of, you yeah. want to achieve a takeoff of some kind, basically. That's yeah, kind totally. of like the, this, the ideology of civilization. Well, I think that like that, the Paradox games, I think in a way that like, I wish they would be a bit, I'm not trying to drag Paradox here. Obviously, I love their work. I think that like they're doing really cool stuff. Also, and, if you're listening, please hire Henry. Yeah, if like, <laughs> if, like I would like, I would gladly become your historical consultant. Um, and like I love I love these games, but like I think I want them to think more of some about they often tend to I think like take period understandings of how things worked and try to incorporate them into the mechanics. Like I think that a great example from Crusader Kings 2 is the way that sort of like there's a certain kind of like Muslim dynastic cycle in states where like if you are a Muslim dynasty, you're if you have family members and they're not like doing something like doing a job as a counselor or holding lands and titles, your your male family members will accumulate decadence for the dynasty. And mm. if the dynasty accumulates too much decadence, a revolt will rise up in like the sort of like desert or steppe part of your empire. And like these sort of like nomads from the countryside are going to come in and sweep out the decadent old order and institute themselves as the new dynasty. Speaking of Edward and that's, Said. It's actually, it's actually based on... Um, there's like a a sort of medieval like Muslim historian and like socio historical sociologist and thinker. Those are all like ahistorical terms for describing him, but he's a social thinker named Ibn Khaldun who is from Morocco, and he his theory of like societies of the of of the Arab world and the Maghreb was that functionally like you have um the founders of a dynasty are always people who have like what he describes as asabiya or like solid kind of like solidarity, and the the desert tribes all have great asabiya because they're like dealing with the harsh conditions of the desert together and working together. And like, they have like kind of a, a sort of virtue and that like, so that also be often allow them to sweep out the existing states. But once they, once they found the state over time, as they get embroiled in like agricultural production, exploration of the landscape, 
they gradually lose their sort of edge. They become more decadent. They lose their asabiya mm. and like they get swept out. So I think that like this me- the mechanic in Crusader Kings two is very clearly based, I think, on on at least like a reading of Ibn Khaldun or a reading of other historians describing Ibn Khaldun's work. But it, that doesn't necessarily mean that was the truth. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that obviously it's like I think it's Ibn Khaldun's own role is kind of reductionistic. So yeah. like. But I think that it's a, it's a cool sort of gesture, and I think an interesting way of thinking about the history. But I also kind of like I, I would be interested in seeing it's like seeing them like take on other ways of thinking about the history. Yeah, yeah. It's just a thought that's kind of occurring to me, and maybe this is just like me slowly realizing what we've been trying to say all along. It's just yeah, you know, thinking about um, the way some people treat. Um, RPGs is a way of sort of representing certain play styles mm. and the kind of late trend in RPGs where you have to, you can max out everything. Like, I am infinite at all types of things rather than giving you a set small specific things and then forcing you to create something and then create a play style to match the thing that you've just created. The way that, you know, a set of mechanics can embody or reflect a particular instance of history versus another which would get to the really interesting places of like, you know, would we take something like Civ Five or Crusader Kings? Can we get to a, a you know, can we get to the differing uh, mechanics therein as a different form of history or the absolutely. difference between two historians? Yeah, it's absolutely right. I think. I think that's right. I think that I would be interested in thinking, loving to see like thinking about more historical discussion of like RPGs and like looking at the sort of possibility space for an individual. And I think that it's one of the things that's frustrating about the whole Kingdom Come thing is that like. I would like to see be able to engage with the sort of question of like, okay, what would a game, a genuinely historical medieval right. game, be like mm-hmm. in a way that isn't like just a a sort of like channel for a certain kind of like Eastern European hardcore nationalist ideology. Yeah. And and like CK two gives you enough space for there to be more many of those. Whereas as you very well uh, articulated very well, Civ Five has a very particular progression. It's a, there's an idea of progress in every way mm-hmm. to play that game, right? Yeah. And and so like I the way I've been thinking about it is not so much as like as historical documents, but as games that allow for different kinds of play. I'm gonna throw this metaphor out there. Civ five or maybe Kingdom Come is like a paint by numbers. Like mm. It's already filled in. You're going to fill it in with different... You can fill it in with whatever colors you like, but you are going to fill in a particular, you know, one of four or five paintings that's already made for you. Whereas CK2 feels a lot more like you got a canvas, you have a certain set of paints, you don't have all the paints, and you don't have all the brushes either. You have a lot of brushes, but you get to kind of paint whatever you want on that, right? And, like, that metaphor is how how has been the most useful thing for me in differentiating them from each other and also like maybe realizing that like just because we call them both 4x games or yeah. even if we we want to refer to them as the same kind of thing they might actually be very very different from each other yeah. they're, they're both video games but they function and allow us to play in very different ways and if you allow me to overextend your metaphor uh, please do <laughs> you know if we imagine that those paintings uh, the paint by numbers or the canvas are supplied by someone else right who may have a nefarious ideology or not right exactly uh, or, you know has a guiding a guiding ideology right. the the you as the painter also have the ability to like paint something new or do something different than what was intended right exactly um, and so that like you know like that like a wonderful quote by T.L. Taylor that you said like yeah. there are a multitude of different ways that can take that 
that that piece that you're given, the canvas, you know, um, and turn it into something else using different tools. Right? Yeah, and absolutely, all the paradox games are designed to be extremely moddable. So yeah, yeah. they're yeah. Uh, that sort of the developers are encouraging people to take that sort of possibility into account. Yeah, yeah I would really like to see a version of Kingdom Come where someone takes whatever the box description is and says, all right, I'm going to create this game, but I don't have your views. Yeah. So let's, mm-hmm. let's see what happens. Let's yeah. take or, into you know, all like, the differences, you know, maybe, that Taylor provides. Sorry. Well, oh, oh, no, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Um, I mean, maybe we'll, we'll see as, criti- as, you know, criticism starts, real criticism starts coming out about the game. Maybe, like, it's not as bad as we're imagining it, and, like, the other developers were able to kind of, like, ameliorate yeah. some of the ideology enough. You know, I think there was a, there was a review in Rock, Paper, Shotgun that we all kind of glanced through um, before this. Uh, where I think it's Edwin Evans Thurlwell um, says, like, he, yeah, he just hasn't, like, played enough of it yet to give a full review, but he's like, here's what's going into it, kind of what I'm taking away, and, like, I'm not in a great place for this, not yeah. a great place to start, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, but it could be very interesting to see, you know? I, I am, I am like, I must say, like, a big fan of the idea of, like, you know, trying to make things more, trying to make, like, actions more historically accurate. Like, I think that is neat, like, what what's the difference, you know, in like sword play when you, you actually get tired and like, you know, having a helmet on actually makes it much harder to fight. You know, like I think those are great and interesting questions to ask, but like kind of sucks that they come in this game. Didn't For Honor do that? Did right. It? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Then I again, mean, Samurai and Vikings never really fought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just in that game. Yeah. Um so this is great. You got uh, I think I think we're probably gonna wrap up yeah. if you yeah. guys are good. Sounds good. Uh, I think this was a great discussion. I wanna you know So uh, now that we've complied with your request so that you can have an episode all to yourself. Yes. And invite a friend. Can you untie us? I appreciate you taking off the duct tape, but it it's been good. Yeah. He these ropes for the whole time. I might wait a few more minutes. <laughs> I will keep the threats very active, though. Is what. Um, so uh, I want to talk about, or we'll all talk about, kind of what's what's coming up next for us. So um, future episodes, uh, we're planning on releasing as we said, uh, what's in your system in the next uh, couple weeks, uh, which should be to you in a few weeks. Um, and our have we planned our next episode yet? Yeah, so we've got a really cool episode coming up. We're going to be talking about the Anthropocene, the age of man, and we're going to be talking about eco-criticism. Um, I'm, there's, we might be doing two different games there, but we're going to have a guest there as well, a guy named uh, Ted Dawson that we all know really well here. Uh, he's in the German Studies Department as well, but he's interested in a ton of stuff, and he's going to sort of help uh, wor- help us work through like thinking about um, eco-criticism and, and games. Um we're also going to be trying to do some uh, sort of Let's Plays. Streaming is still a, a thing that we're working on figuring out a process for, but um, I th- I'm pretty sure we have the tech to make sort of like recorded videos and playthroughs of stuff happen. And, uh, you know, in to, to take up my metaphor again, I think that there's something about the way that you play a game that is very, I mean, may be the thing that creates the meaning of that game. So what you do with it, you know, the... Mm-hmm. To use the metagaming term, I mean that's like we're you're you're making a metagame out of this game, and so we're gonna play some games and like make some metagames and like have some fun and put those up on our YouTube channel. So uh, keep an eye out for those for sure. Uh, just a little housekeeping stuff as well. Uh, Terrell, Derek, and I did an interview uh, for a podcast uh, called Leading Lines here at Vanderbilt, which talks about um, technology and its use in teaching. And it was fun and very freewheeling. Uh, Derek and Terrell say a bunch of smart stuff. I make bad jokes. It's kind of what you've probably come to expect. He also has a very informative rant about 
late stage capitalism. I do. Mm. Yeah, you that's do. right. Oh, I do. That's you right. Absolutely yeah. do. I'm sorry. I just ha- I have so many rants that like. <laughs> oh, which one is most that? particularly? I, I have a lot about <laughs> late stage capitalism. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So check that out. It's called Leading Lines. We'll include a link in the show notes. Um, so yeah, I wanted to uh, thank our guest Henry for showing up. It was a delight to have you oh, on thank the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> you were wonderful. I guess we're gonna clap. That's the thing we're doing. You're gonna get a gong too. Oh my. <laughs> now you must leave. Yeah. Get out! <laughs> um, and thanks always to the Curve Center for Art, Pro- Enterprise, and Public Policy at Vanderbilt University for providing support for us. Um, thanks to the Haystack Program for helping fund this project. Thanks to Visager for the use of their freely available song, uh, The Plateau at Night, which is our intro and outro song. Uh, you can find their music at twitter.com slash visagermusic. Uh, where can we find everyone on the internet? Derek. You can find me on Twitter at digital underscore Derek. Terrell. You can find me at Twitter at Black Socrates. And you can find me on Twitter at H. Gray Gorman. G-R-E-Y is my middle name. Yeah. Yes. Henry drops a lot of hot takes about history. It's so if hot. I'm, if I'm being honest. Some, <laughs> some spicy takes. Spicy takes. <laughs> Sometimes I like, I like embarrass myself so that's like another <laughs> highlight for, yeah um, if you yeah please follow henry on twitter he's much smarter than me and he's great you can find me at twitter on at at e underscore kyle underscore romero real quick yeah if one of you were the historian version of greedo and the other was a historical version of han solo which would be which <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering who shoots first. Yeah, I don't know. Fascinating. Um, and who's confronting who? Yeah, I just want to one day be as smart as Henry. That's like my goal. Oh, that's like <laughs> that's just that you've already achieved that. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> they both shoot themselves. Yes, we both answer out of, our, out of our deep love. Yeah. For each other. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys. Um, and we'll be back to you soon in a, in a few weeks with the What's in Your System. Thanks. See you guys. Bye. Be easy. Ah, shit. This is probably a really bad time to mention I have to use the bathroom.